Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we are rolling with the times. It's the slam from our 10th anniversary flagship season, The Decades, held on November 26, 2019 at Jump, our all-ages venue in downtown Boise. During the slam, we randomly drew names and got groovy with their stories inspired by the theme, 70s. Let the good times roll. It's story time. Bill. All right, first of all, everybody's looking at me going, how the hell does this guy even know what the 70s were? I assure you I do. Um, Second of all, native Idahoans, no bottles, no cans. This is a story about me growing up in California. It was the 70s, man. It was okay. Idaho wasn't even a state. (laughs) So anyway, here I am, child of the 70s, maybe 80s. Maybe I'm a child of the 80s, but I do remember the 70s vaguely. I was in California. I was in Northern California. Oh God, where do I even start so many stories? So these stories are going to be a compilation of my experience, if anybody's been there, the Bay Area, Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, Bill Graham presents the day on the green, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you, my brothers and sisters. So (laughs) if you haven't experienced it, general admission in the 70s, going back to the way we were raised, in the 70s concerts had this crazy thing, general admission, you didn't get a seat. You just, you were lucky to get a ticket, and then you camped out. It was like, you know, it was, it was camping, concert, it, it was all combined, it was all love, man. And we would camp out in the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. The place seated 50,000, 60,000 for a day on the green. And we're all camped out along a fence line in Oakland, California. What could go wrong? <laughs> a bunch of kids smoking weed, camping on a fence line, we got our tents, we got our sleeping bags, we got our booze. And I was old enough for none of that, but I was in California and I was a kid and it was the 70s, so it was all good. 1977 comes along and Bill Graham presents Led Zeppelin. Well, fuck, I gotta go. Fudge, I gotta go. I warned you, I warned you. (laughs) Fudge, I gotta go. So my sister, me, a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, off we go. So here we are camping out. We show up the day prior, 8 a.m. It's 8 a.m. the day before the concert, and we're hundreds of people deep in this line. Throw up our tents, get everything going. We're all hanging out, having a great time. You know, out comes the weed, out comes the booze. Everybody's having a great time. The cops, it's, it's the 70s. Apparently the cops at the BIA they're different than the cops in Oakland. The cops in Oakland were like, yeah, peace, love, go ahead. Just, you know, don't hurt anybody, it's all good. So that's what we did all night, all night. But then come morning, at some point, it was almost like a starter pistol went off and everybody started getting antsy, you know, like like the cat pawing on something, you know, the lion stretching. It's like, okay, something's about to go down. This was my first day on the green. I had no clue what was about to go down but this was it. They open gates to a parking lot, a huge parking lot, 
And I swear, if you've ever seen a documentary of wildebeest on the savannah, <laughs> that was this. These gates open up. All of these people have neatly tucked away their stuff against this fence line. Is it really still going to be there when we get back? No, it wasn't. It was long gone when we got back. Apparently, a lot of bums had some really nice tents and things. But we take off, dead sprint toward the Colosseum. And it is like a wildebeest jaunt. People are falling. People are stumbling. It's like, no, and they just reach back. One guy was running past me like a gazelle, joint in hand, pinky out, just dead sprint, beer over here, didn't lose a toke, didn't lose a drop, and ran past me like the wind. I was just a kid. I was, you know, I, I didn't have a chance against this type of talent. I didn't even know. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, I'm also out there with, you know, the uh, Jerry Garcias of the world. This, there were guys who were so wasted that they couldn't run. They were just walking. They're like, hey, man, it's all good. And I'm looking and I'm like, why did you even camp out? You don't have a chance here, brother. You're going to be at the back of the line. You, can't, you camped for 30 hours to be in the front of the line, and now you're going to be at the back of this line because we have to sprint a mile, and there's no way you're going to make it. You know, I'm waiting for the ambulance to come up and grab Jerry and help him out because, you know, he's not looking good. He's, he's looking a little peaked, and I'm thinking maybe, maybe not. But Jerry makes it, I guess. I don't know. I, I was gone. So we all get to these, guess what's waiting for us? That's right, another gate. Big fence around the Coliseum. Apparently, you get to go into the parking lot at 8 a.m., but then you get to wait until noon for the gates to open. What the hell did I do to myself? What, what, I, I was just a kid. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. But we wait, and we wait, and we wait. So we all take off at noon. The gates open, and again, it's the wildebeest, only this time it truly is the wildebeest. Now it's the wildebeest going over the cliff, into the river, climbing stairs. It's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. We're climbing over each other. You know, I think there was a woman and a small child that I perhaps, you know, just went over in my, I just had to get to the front. I had to see Robert Plant, man. Come on, come on, let me unbutton my shirt, get all that Robert Plantness going on up here and you'll know. I had to do it, I had to do it. So we all get out there. Day on the Green, if you don't know, you, it's a Coliseum, it's a baseball field, football fields where the Raiders and the Oakland A's still play today. Huge grass, they let you on the grass. The stage is out in center field. Everybody's all over the grass. Everybody's up in the stands. I mean, it's just completely packed. So, the beauty of the day on the greens, probably the reason they don't have them today, is everybody's smoking, everybody's token, everybody's having a good time. And for the rest of that summer, while you're watching the Oakland A's play baseball, there's seven-leaf cannabis sativa everywhere in the field. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Randy R. Randy R. Here he comes. Seventies were fun. I grew up in Chicago, suburbs, in a town called North Lake, which was nowhere near a lake. 
and it was on the west, but still, you know, we had plenty of stuff to do. Um, I did most of my traveling uh, via hitchhiking and did it for almost 20 years through like from 65 until almost 85 or 90 when, we, when I finally moved out here and got a job. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I didn't have a car that whole time. And I got around quite a bit. And some of the best stories, actually, are kind of scary, but um, still, I'm here, and everything's cool. Um, you know, being dragged off to a, um, a reservoir somewhere and being talked to like I was going to end up in the pool or uh, having John Wayne Gacy pull up alongside of me, I swear. Um, uh, but I didn't get in his car, so I'm still here. And besides, I was kind of afraid of clowns, and you know, that just didn't do much for me. But <laughs> hey, that was healthy. <laughs> um, but the, I think the worst of it, uh, well, I, I traveled to work, which was as a caddy for almost 15 or 20 years, well, I worked at a country club for um, 20 years, 15 of it as a caddy, and caddied in the U.S. Open, Western Open, many of the major golf tournaments in the, in the Chicago area, in addition to um, just going out and hanging out with the, um, the members every, every day during the summer. And that kind of gave me the opportunity, but I would travel that 20-mile stretch just with my thumb out. And um, I, think, I think the weirdest moment, though, was I was coming home from a, a day, it was mid-afternoon, on a day a lot like yesterday. And this is kind of what brought it up, that the wind and my route could vary depending on where the people who would pick me up we're going, and this guy came came tooling down Lake Street, North Lake, Lake Street, um, came tooling down Lake Street, out at the club, and I had finished um, a full day out there on a BMW Triumph, Triumph Bonneville. I'm sorry, it wasn't a BMW Triumph Bonneville motorcycle. It was clean, very little on it, no, no back bar, no sissies in those days. And basically got on the back and I told him where I was going and he said, cool, I'll get you right there. And um, I got on the back and just kind of grabbed the back of the seat. There's no strap. I'm not gonna grab him around the waist, you know. That, I'm sorry, not that kind of guy. But um, grabbed the back of the seat. And it was a windy day, as I said. And so we hopped up onto the expressway, which is a nice, easy way to get home. It's still about a 20, 25-minute ride. But we, we got up onto the expressway, and it's wide open road, three lanes here in one direction, and three lanes there in another direction. 
with no shelter, and the bike is moving four feet at a time, sideways, in addition to him doing 70 miles an hour. And I was just kind of gathered. <laughs> you know, it's all you can do. You grab the seat. And as, as the ride progressed, I kept getting further and, back, further and further back on the seat. I was actually falling off. So he gets down off the expressway. And, you know, this is... I'm not real stressed out right now, but trust me, that was a moment. Um, probably the worst moment in my life because I really wasn't sure if I'd be able to hang on much longer. Because all you got is your fingers at that point. And I'm here now. Oops. I'm, I'm sitting here on my knees, and the rest of me is off the back of the bike. So it's kind of tense. And... He, he gets me down off the expressway onto North Avenue and pulls up about a quarter mile away from my house where I walk the rest of the way. And he pulls over and said, here you go. And I said, really appreciate the ride. But if you ever see me again, just keep going. Amy Moran, and this might be the first time she has ever told a story at Story Story Night. It may be. Yes, this is the first time. I've been terrified um, until now. I'm still a little, uh, a little nervous, but uh, felt like the, the right time to do it. So I have a little uh, love note to share with you. Um, to my mother. So I'm going to do a little winding through some, some decades, and you'll, uh, I'll, I'll, take you, I'll take you to the 70s, but not initially. Um, I'm going to start in my, um, in my first decade, an experience that I had um, waking up in the morning, realizing that something had shifted, going into my parents' room and saying, something's happening and I'm not sure what it is, and my mom saying, oh, honey, you're becoming a woman, is what's happening. <laughs> and she said, this is a delightful day, and we're going to celebrate. She said, you're not going to school today. I'm going to take you shopping, and we're going to go out for lunch, and we're going to get you the supplies that we need, and we're going to celebrate all day long, because this is a big day for you. And she made the day so, um, so wonderful and so positive. And I felt so good about it. And she built so much confidence into it that the next day when I went to school with my little packet of supplies, <laughs> and I was nine years old, my little packet of supplies, I had a little group of elementary school girls who wanted to follow me to the restroom at my first break to find out what this was all about. So I got to share the, the confidence and the enthusiasm and the celebration with them that my mother had shared with me. And then I fast forward into my, um, my third decade and I called my mom and dad to say, I'm getting married. 
And my mom said, well, he's not the one I would have wanted. <laughs> but I'm happy for you nonetheless. And we love you and we're there for you. So for my mom, what that means is, she'll do all the flowers for the wedding, she'll sew all of the table linens, and she'll cater it herself. So I had about 75 or 80 people there for the event, and she did all of it. With nothing but love, nothing but tenderness, nothing but support, even though it really wasn't the decision that she wanted me to make. And as I got older and moved away from my family, the ways that I stayed connected with my mom, which was, um, was tenderly and closely, was uh, via telephone. And my mom was always the first one who I would call with, um, with my news of heartbreak. And she was the first one who I would call with my um, news of, of celebration. She was the first one I would go to, the one I always knew that I could count on. And I, I treasured those phone calls. And she was always there for me, unconditionally. And it was usually, I was greeted with a, oh, hello, my little honey, lotus blossom, darling, beautiful girl, or something <laughs> along those lines, just something beautiful and tender. And um, then we fast forward. My mom is now in her 70s. So we arrive in our 70s, in her 70s. And our phone calls have started to become a little bit different. So the phone call now starts with something along the lines of, well, honey, do you, um, do you make smoothies? Well, yes, mom, I do make smoothies. Well, do you like smoothies? Well, yes, mom, I do like smoothies. She said, well, now how do you make those? Do you have to have a special kind of blender to make those? I said, well, I have a Vitamix. And she said, well, could you use any kind of blender? And I said, well, yeah, you know, you could, but I, I just prefer the Vitamix. She says, well, do you like uh, frozen bananas? Yes, Mom, I like frozen bananas. I slice them up, and I, I put them in the freezer. She said, well, so do you like blueberries? Yes, Mom, I like blueberries. And so we kind of talk through the ingredients that I would put in a smoothie. Then we move on briefly to another topic, usually related to weather or the book that she's reading. Then about mid-conversation, well, so honey, do you like to make smoothies? <laughs> yeah, mom, I do like to make smoothies. Well, well what kind of blender do you need to, need to use to make smoothies? And I said, well, I use a Vitamix to make my smoothies. She says, well, can you use any kind of blender that you'd like? Well, yeah, mom, you could use any kind of blender. It'd be okay. Do you like frozen bananas in your smoothies? Yeah, mom, I do like frozen bananas in my smoothies. So we move through the smoothie conversation again, and then we move back to some mention of the weather, some mention of the day, and then toward the end of the conversation again. So honey, do you like smoothies? Yeah, mom, I do, I like smoothies. And tell me about the blenders that you use for your smoothies. Well, I use a Vitamix, mom, for my smoothies. So you kind of get the flow of the conversations that we have now. And that's the relationship that I have now with my mom in her 70s. Well, I shouldn't say that's the relationship. That doesn't define the relationship. But that's the space that we have moved into. So I no longer call my mom with my most celebratory news or my heartbreaking news because she can't really go there anymore. She doesn't understand how to have conversations about those topics with me anymore. And I'm making those adjustments. And I'm mourning the conversations that I would have with her um, before now. 
and I'm mourning those aspects of our relationship, but I'm finding a, um, a, a tenderness and a sweetness for her that I haven't felt previously. There's a, um, there's a, there's a little bit of a, um, a playfulness to these conversations about blenders and bananas and blueberries. And in her 70s, she is um, still the most important person um, in my world in a different way. And um, no less loving and no less supportive and no less wonderful, just different. And um, so that's just a little, little love note to my mom in her 70s. Please welcome Sherry Briscoe. Thank you. Yes, I was here up here last year for the Starry Story Night, and that was a wonderful experience. But let me tell you about the 70s for me. I grew up here in Idaho. I was born and raised here in Boise. I'd lived my whole life here. We didn't travel anywhere. My family didn't go on vacations. If we went anywhere, we went on a camping trip up in the hills, or we went on a picnic. We went to the drive-in movie. But we didn't travel. So by the time I graduated from high school, I didn't know what it was like beyond the borders of Idaho. I went to BSU my first year, which was actually Boise State College at that time. And in the middle of that year, in January of 1974, it became Boise State University. And I was there. But that summer of 1974, I walked around town and I thought, I don't want to go back to school. I like school, but I want to travel. I want to see what's out there in the world. It's the 70s. There's got to be more than Idaho, right? <laughs> so this was a funny time of the year. It was the end of Vietnam. So Vietnam was still going on, but it was winding down. And there were posters all over town, on every block, in every shop window. Join the army. Be all you can be. And I thought, I don't even know what I can be. Me? You know, this little shy, introverted girl from Idaho. But I really wanted to travel, and I wanted to go to Europe. So I went into the recruiting office and I asked them, I said, so what do you have? <laughs> right? What can you give me? Well, the, the Air Force was great. They had almost a, a year's waiting period, though. And the Navy had some good programs. And again, almost a year waiting period. And I'll tell you something about me. I'm really impatient. If I want to do something, I want to do it now, right? Now, now's the time I want to travel. Now's the time when you need to send me somewhere. So I went into the Army recruiting. They had a guarantee of station. I was like, oh my gosh. I said, can you guarantee me that I'll be stationed in Europe? And they said, yeah. 
I said, all right, let's do it. They said, sign right here. And I did, and 30 days later, I was on my first plane out of Idaho. I didn't go straight to Europe. You know, the Army has this funny thing where you have to go to basic training first. So they sent me to South Carolina. Get on the plane, I go to South Carolina, 1974, October. It was a good time to be in South Carolina, though. Arrive in the airport, they have an old bus that picks all of us up to take us to Fort Jackson. A funny thing happened on the way to the base. We're tooling down the highway, and I'm looking out at this beautiful countryside of South Carolina, and there's this huge billboard. And it says, welcome to South Carolina, home of the fighting cocks. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, what did I do? <laughs> I had no idea. South Carolina was a little bit different than Boise in 1974. You know, they had a dance down there called the Bump. Have you ever heard of it? I hadn't heard of it. We'd go out to the nightclubs when we'd get off on the weekends, and there was this big guy who had a crush on me. Now, when I joined the Army, I barely made the weight minimum. I was like 98 pounds. And if you know how the bump went, so this guy who weighed about 300 was buying me all these drinks, like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to. Then he asked me to dance. Okay, he wanted to do the bump. Really? You hit me with your hips once and I go flying out the door. I could see that one coming. No, 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 no. So I kind of, no, I, I can't, I don't know how to dance that, I, I can't do that. He got kind of mad at me and he called me a name. Well, remember, he'd been buying me drinks all night, so I was a little tipsy, at 98 pounds, I get drunk pretty fast. And I swung off and hit him. <laughs> I kind of got in trouble for that one. But I didn't have to dance the bump, and I didn't have to go flying out the door. It was a great experience. I ended up going to Germany, and I was stationed in Nuremberg for two years, where I traveled throughout Germany, France, Holland, and Austria, and it was an amazing time. So the 70s were wonderful to me. Uh, a regular slammer on our stage, Mr. Dave Lee. Good evening. As tends to happen at these things, I I, once again, wasn't really planning on telling a story tonight until I started hearing the other stories, and it inspired me, brought back some memories. Uh, even so, until Randy spoke, I thought my story might be the only hitchhiking story tonight, but it was the 70s, and hitchhiking was a thing. And tonight's story reminded me of a trip I took in 1977. I was a freshman in college at University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And I was going to hitchhike down to St. Petersburg, Florida, where a friend of mine had just moved and spent spring, spring break down there. 
And oh, I think my first night I went, got as far as St. Louis, but stayed with some friends there. And the second night I got somewhere near Nashville, Tennessee. And it, was, it got dark by then and I decided it was time to just call it a night and I camped out some, somewhere in or around the clover leaf there and woke up the next morning. When I say I was somewhere near Nashville, I mean, I wasn't in a big city. And I was at one of those places where I was at an interchange in the road and pretty much the only thing there was, I think, one gas station. And so when I got up in the morning, you get up early when you're camping out on a freeway. Uh, but, uh, and it was kind of cold, had been kind of cold and I sort of rolled up my sleeping bag and stuff and decided to walk over to this gas station, maybe warm up a little bit, use the restroom uh, and uh, maybe get a snack. Uh, and I got there, there was one person in the, in the, the uh, gas station, which wasn't unusual, it was a small place, except this person didn't really look like your typical gas station attendant. It was an older lady, probably, Somebody about the age of my mother, kind of, I don't know, I don't mean this directly, somebody you might kind of describe as a blue hair, you know. Um, and somebody I wasn't expecting to see in a place like that, but nonetheless, I started chatting with her, and she was chatting with me, and I was describing how I'd slept out the night before, and I was hitchhiking. And um, she asked me, well, where are you going? And I said, oh, Florida. And then she says, well, do you, do you, do you have good references? And I'm like, <laughs> Well, yeah, I think so. I'm a trustworthy guy. And she goes, well, I'm going to Florida. I'm like, well, are you offering me a ride? Well, yeah, yeah I guess so. I'm like, oh, good. that would be great. Great. Uh, I soon found out kind of why she was there and also why she was eager to pick up a rider. As it turned out, the reason she was there at the gas station is she was waiting for a tow truck. She had been driving down the freeway and apparently at some point she had slowed down to look at the road signs and a truck came up behind her and laid on the horn and scared her and she ran off into the median. Uh, so as you might imagine, she probably could have used a relief driver for a little while. So anyhow, so I joined uh, and she was like a retiree from Michigan or someplace heading down to Florida to, to check on her winter condo. or. Uh, Anyhow, it was a long ride from Nashville to, to St. Petersburg, but she got the, by the way, this was March of 1977, just two months before Jimmy Carter had been inaugurated president. And this lady thought it would be kind of interesting on her way down to Florida, why don't we detail, detour through Plains, Georgia? And I thought, okay. Sure, why not? I'm, I'm on vacation. And, and Plains, Georgia, well, so we got off the main road and we were on this, this little country road going past some fields and just a typical country road. And I think we passed the sign that said approaching Plains, Georgia or Plains, Georgia city limit. And like right at about that point, there's a side road that joins the main road we were on. And as we get there, I see this tram-like thing, you know, like they have at Disneyland to bring you in from the parking lot. Only this tram on the front car, they had like a cardboard cutout of a giant peanut. <laughs> and I th said, it said something on it like the Peanut Express. Uh, and believe it or not, that was not, and that was a tour car that was taking tourists around to see the sights of Plains, Georgia. 
And believe it or not, that was not the only tour. When you got into town, there was all a variety of outfits offering tours like that. Not only that, there were all sorts of places selling Jimmy Carter souvenirs. I remember getting a huge bag of unroasted peanuts that I took home because I thought, these would be neat souvenirs. Hey, you want some peanuts from Plains, Georgia? Uh, another souvenir I got, I, I think I still have, I don't have the peanuts anymore, but I think I still have this. I don't know where it is. But I had a postcard with a picture of Billy Carter's gas station. <laughs> I think I still have that, and when I find that, I'm going to put it somewhere in a prominent place on display in my home. But anyhow, uh, Plains, Georgia was certainly proud of their hometown boy at that time. But anyway, uh, it's been a long time since then, and I don't imagine Plains, Georgia is a tourist trap anymore. But, but how about that Jimmy Carter? He's, he's 95 years old, he's beat brain cancer, he's beat a couple of falls, and he's still making houses for poor people. And so, you know, Whatever you could say about the 70s, whatever you could say about Jimmy Carter, I don't know. This is an apolitical zone, but couldn't we use more Jimmy Carters these days? Thank you for listening. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsors, Boise State Public Radio and Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, Pettit Realty Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guest was DJ Jared Manimal Bostrom. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. Also, check out our YouTube channel at Story Story Boise. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.